When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program. It's the Countdown to Scaricon program. Scaricon coming up October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. Check out the details at Scaracon.com. But we've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite topics. And in fact, uh, our first topic kind of combines a bunch of different interests for me anyway. It's um, Brian Clune and Bob Davis will be with us all night. And we'll be talking about a couple of their books, in, books including um, their new book called Ghosts and Legends of Alcatraz. Now... Um, Obviously, I'm interested in ghosts. I'm interested in legends, and I'm also very interested in Alcatraz. It's just such a, such a an interesting place with an amazing history. And uh, you know, we all have a bit of a fascination with true crime these days. I, I spend many, many nights watching things like forensic files or cold case files. You know, watched all the the true crime stuff on Netflix. Uh, I, I really enjoy that. And part of the true crime stuff is prison escapes and there's some pretty interesting stories about escapes from Alcatraz uh, which we'll get into with Brian and Bob um, and then in the later part of the discussion tonight with those two our guests we'll talk about Frank Sumption. Frank was a paranormal enthusiast and an inventor and he came up with a device that used uh, radio frequencies it scanned in a very rapid pace radio frequencies and it is purported by some it's a controversial device but some say it allows the spirit world to communicate with us. It can take the energy from the radio waves, which those waves are all around us all the time, and they are a form of energy. And it can focus them into words. Well, we'll see how it all works out and, and how the discussion goes uh, with Brian and Bob, and we will bring them in in just a couple minutes. Looking ahead on the show, tomorrow night, of course, is a best of program. Monday night, we've got Melissa Tittle on the show. Melissa is the director of the of original content for the Gaia streaming service. She produced a documentary called Unearthing Nazca, The Complete Story. And it's about the mysterious mummies that were unearthed in Nazca, Peru. And of course, that's in the area of the Nazca Lines. There's a, it's a pretty mystical place to begin with. So we will have uh, even more information when we talk to Melissa on Monday night. Of course, we have a great week of programs for you all week next week. So be sure to plan on that for us. Uh, in the meantime, please spend a moment and like us on Facebook and like us on uh, YouTube. Go to YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Search for Beyond Reality Radio or J.V. Johnson. We stream live there in case you don't have a radio station to carry the program. And someone in our chat room, which is part of the YouTube broadcast, said, uh, here we go with the best opening around or something like that. And I have to agree, we've got a pretty pretty darn good opening uh, theme and uh, montage there. And I don't know if there's any awards. I mean, you know, there's like the Pulitzer Prize. There's the, what's the, the uh, there's another one. Uh, it's, it's escaping me. There's a bunch of radio awards uh, that I can't come up with the names with right now. Do they have one for show openings? If so, we should submit this one, right? <laughs> anyway, thanks for saying that in the chat room. If you're looking for the chat room, it's part of our YouTube uh, live stream. Uh, and you can find it there. All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll bring in our guests again. Tonight, two guests with us at the same time, Brian Clune and Bob Davis. We'll be right back. Look out, Rochester. Scaricon is coming for you. The Northeast's leading fan convention for all things pop culture is celebrating its ninth year at the Rochester Riverside Hotel, October 18th through the 20th. Scaricon brings an amazing group of celebrities, panel discussions, film screenings, great vendors, and amazing parties. It's a weekend of fun from start to finish, and it's family-friendly. For more information, visit Scaricon.com. 
And check us out on Facebook. Use the promo code BRR at checkout to save 20% on your admission. That's Garacon.com, October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. Phone calls later on the show at 844-687-7669. We will take your comments and questions in the second hour of the show. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a couple of different topics. We're going to be talking about Alcatraz. It's a pretty mystical place, mysterious place as well. And we're also going to be talking about ghost boxes, the invention by Frank Sumption and his contribution to the paranormal investigating world. Both of those topics will be addressed by two guests tonight. Brian Clune and Bob Davis. Guys, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. So um, we're going to try to do this in somewhat of an orderly fashion. <laughs> um, we've, got, we've got questions for both of you, so I don't know if you, know, you want to take turns or however it works most conveniently for you. But the first thing I want to do is get a sense of how you both got yourselves involved in the paranormal. Bob, go ahead. Okay, well, I got into it uh, when I was 13 years old. It's a real easy one. So that's kind of why the Ghost of Alcatraz, uh, Ghost and Legends of Alcatraz um, kind of goes full circle in my life um, because before that I had no belief in anything, you know, spiritual of any kind. Excuse me. Sorry about that. I've been a little under the weather. And then when we took a day tour to Alcatraz, I had something happen that I can expound on later if you wish. But... Um, it was something that I could not in any way, shape, or form explain to myself or understand, you know. And so from that time on, I just have been studying and researching and trying to find ways to figure out what it is. And so, um, yeah, it's, you know, so I've kind of covered the full spectrum of, you know, the field of, you know, from just from my personal knowledge, but also also trying to uh, find ways to figure out <laughs> what that was, what causes that, you know, and is it really human spirits that are disembodied or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so that's how I got it. So, Bob, you're saying that um, that your first paranormal experience, the thing that kind of created the curiosity for you, or maybe the search for answers started here, was an occurrence, some kind of uh, something happened to you at Alcatraz itself? Absolutely, yeah, it did, and it... Uh, yeah, it, it it didn't creep me out. It it, it scared the heck out of me. Really? Um, yeah. It, back at that in those days, um, they have. With, do, you, do you want me to expound on it now? Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, you can't. You know, we teased everyone saying that's how it started. I guess let's so, get yeah. a, let's get a sense of what happened to you. Okay. So, as what happened was, I was there with my family, my mom, my dad, my brother, and sister-in-law, and myself. And we were just taking the day tour, and we get down to D Block, which is um, the, you know, uh, solitary confinement or the, you know, it's not all solitary confinement necessarily, but it's, you know, the, the you know, kind of lockdown cells. But at the very end, there is the solitary confinement cells where they're just completely, you know, a big metal box, and there's two doors that shut. And once those doors are shut, it's pitch black in there, and there's no furniture there's just a hole in the ground in the corner, and that's your toilet. And other than that, that was what was in there, and that's they'd throw them in there, you know, the worst of the worst. And someone would be in there for months, I think, even possibly in one case, uh, somebody was in there over a year, if I'm not mistaken. And so the park ranger asked if anybody would volunteer to go in and see what that felt like, you know, for the prisoner to be in there. And... You know, I didn't even know Alcatraz was supposed to be haunted, didn't care about hauntings or anything. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go in. And so he walked me back in there, and he stuck me back in the back left corner, which is where the toilet actually used to be, but they filled it in with concrete, thank God. And so then he shut the, the inner door and the outer door. And so by that time, it was just pitch black. And I'm just standing back there in the corner up against the wall. And he yells in, you know, are you doing okay in there? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And as soon as they yelled, I'm fine, you get, and you'll probably hear it, it was like a real hard grab on my on my shoulder, on my right shoulder. And at the same, almost the same time, I hear a voice in my, a real gruff voice in my ear go, you're mine, like that. And as he said that, you could feel the hair on my ears tickling. And, you know, so it was like somebody leaned in and said it right, you know, like a, an actual human. 
had leaned in and said that to me. And you were alone. You were alone in this room. Totally alone. Totally dark. Yeah. You know, now there's a lot of people outside this cell, but I, yeah, so I ran right over to the door, started banging and screaming. I'm not ashamed to admit it, you know, (laughs) and said, let me out, let me out. And so when they opened the door, you know, everybody's like, what happened? What happened? I'm like, ah, nothing. It's just like when, once I got in there, I didn't like it. So I didn't talk about it to anybody. So I was like 28 years old. I finally admitted it to talk to my dad about it because he always thought there was no such thing as, you know, ghosts or anything like that, either him or my mother. So, but my dad finally had an experience later in life. And so I opened up to him about it and he's like, Oh, that's weird because the experience we were talking about at that time um, actually happened to my father as well. And this was a whole different experience much later in life. But so it was very, very odd. So after that, I mean, I could just, you know, I, I had always made a vow, you know, to the powers of be that if you, you know, show me some sort of evidence that I can't explain and I can't deny, you know, that it happened, you know, then I will never question you again, and I never have. And so that's that's what started me on this road, you know, and been going ever since. So now, did, I'm did, almost 60 now. So. Did you say that your father had a similar experience at Alcatraz? Not at Alcatraz. Okay, it was somewhere Later else. Later in life, he had a okay. similar experience that I had in a, in a different location. And it was actually on a boat he owned, and he had... An experience when he was on the sh- on the boat by himself one night after my mom had passed away, and then I would say it was probably maybe a year later or, or somewhere within that year I was on the boat in the same place I was laying in his his bed in the stateroom and had the same experience happen, um, and you know so when we started you know talking about it we we're like wait a minute that's that's like exactly what happened to me, but you know, are virtually the same, you know. So, and then we started hearing stories from past owners. The skipper of the of the boat, he would uh, he would see you know and have ghostly things happening all the time because he was on there more than we were. And uh, so, um, you know, when and he was the same way, very skeptical, you know. And and sadly, he just passed away two weeks ago. So. Um, you know, my heart goes out to him, but, yeah. um, yeah. Sorry, um, sorry for the loss. When, when somebody, when somebody like that, you know, comes up to you and says, uh, I think this boat's haunted, <laughs> you know, you kind of go, okay. You know, it's like one day they don't believe. And then the next day, you know, here's this big burly guy, you know, so that's, yeah. So that's, so this must be know. a pretty gratifying occasion for you to now be part of a book project, uh, about Alcatraz after your, original paranormal experience occurred there one that uh, not just made you curious but as you described really frightened you and now you've kind of as you said come full circle and have uh, been part of authoring a book about all of the phenomena there that must feel pretty good absolutely and in fact since then you know brian and i and the rest of my team at the time we both ended up spending the night on Alcatraz two nights, and that was the cell that, that we got the, that we picked. The oh wow! Stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I didn't have any trouble with with whatever grabbed me before, but but one of our uh, co-founder who's passed on since uh, as well, he he was getting picked on. <laughs> So, well, we'll definitely like, t- we'll talk about those experiences a little bit later. Yeah. I want to I want to ask uh, Brian basically the same question: How'd you get your start? Where Where'd your interest come from? Um, mine's nowhere near as exciting as Bob's, but um, I actually grew up in a haunted house. But it was actually my father who was haunting the house. He passed away when I was just about three years old, and he kind of hung around and waited for my mother to pass in 1987. So over those years, we had a few weird little things that that happened. Um, I'm not even going to go into it. And then after all of the activity stopped, I just sort of stopped believing almost. And then when my son turned, my oldest son turned 18, um, I was looking for something to do with him that, uh, you know, we could do together. And he looked at me and goes, well, let's go ghost hunting. And I kind of looked at him and went, I think I should take you to a shrink. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, he he convinced me to give it a try. Uh, we found Planet Paranormal, and 
I've been doing, um, you know, research ever since. I actually did a little bit of research in, in the interim years before I joined uh, the actual team, but uh, nowhere near like uh, we're doing now um, with Planet Paranormal. So that's basically how I got my start. A lot less uh, mild than uh, basically being grabbed in a cell. Yeah, not everyone's then, not everyone's story oh, starts with an experience. That's okay. What were we going to say, Bob? I was just going to say. However, Brian can tell you later that his first experiences were <laughs> right <laughs> up there with one, with my first experience. So, <laughs> yeah. So even though it didn't start off quite as dramatic, you know, like instantly, it finally got to him. <laughs> Before we only have about a minute, we only have about a minute here before we have to go back to the uh, or go to a break, and we'll come back after that and continue the conversation. But just kind of quickly, in the years that you've been investigating and researching, do you feel that you've made progress in the effort to find some answers, or are you still as confused as I am and as we all were the first time we started thinking about this stuff? Well, I'm I'm still a little bit ahead, confused Brian. with it, but um, we, I, we've definitely made some progress as far as um, our scientific approach to um, uh, investigating and to uh, doing our evidence review. Uh, Bob could probably expand on that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, Bob? I'd say the same, basically. It's like, you know, I mean, um, I haven't, re- you know, I think, yeah, we've definitely made a lot of progress. Um, you know, but there's always room for more progress and, you know, as things, you know, do go along and I mean, we've seen a lot of progress since, you know, like when like ghost hunters was so popular when it first came out, you know, and, and all those years and, you know, things just boomed, you know, and so well, that the, gave the, us a lot of opportunity. Yeah. The interest uh, certainly did. And not only the interest, but the, the ability to have these conversations in an open forum really blossomed absolutely. W- when the shows started, particularly ghost hunters, because prior to that, it was more of a, you know, back room talk or kind of whisper to the side, mm-hmm. Hey, I think I saw a ghost kind of thing. And now people are much more uh, able to have these conversations in public and, and actually have a discussion about it, which makes it make, it's that progress alone. Several website guys. Which one of you wants to tell me what the web addresses are for people? Uh, well, we have the uh, uh, radio site that's uh, planetparanormal.com, and we're getting ready to start redoing that entire site and get it back up going really good. And uh, our main uh, investigation site would be planet uh, parainvestigations.com. Sorry about that. So it's parainvestigations.com. Yeah. You can get a lot of our evidence on there as well. And then there's a third site we have for just Queen Mary evidence that is from a long-term research project that we've been doing over the years um, with the um, you know, permission of the ship. And it is queenmaryshadows.com. So you can see a lot of cool stuff on there and hear a lot of good stuff as well. Brian, Brian, yeah, Brian. It's uh, it's one thing to develop a an interest in the paranormal itself, and I think I'm pretty clear on how Bob uh, found his interest in Alcatraz. How did you find your interest in Alcatraz and discover it as a place not just of mystery but of paranormal activity? Well, um, my son and I had always wanted to go to Alcatraz, and even though we wanted to go and do some ghost hunting up there, we kind of realized we never would. And then uh, some friends of ours, uh, some friends of Planet Paranormal, had won the lottery, um, and they invited us along to spend the night on Alcatraz. And w- once we went, uh, the amount of activity the first night that, that we spent there was just literally off the hook. We could not believe the amount of ghost activity that uh, that we um, gathered while we were there. I mean, it was literally incredible, including... Of, um, go ahead, Bob. No, I was just saying a lot of audible activity, especially. All right. Um, one, of the, one of the things that happened that we do mention in the book is uh, it was just the four of us, uh, myself, Bob, uh, Ash, and Laurel Blackwell. And we were in the medical isolation ward, and we had 
been doing an EVP session in one of the rooms. It was actually the only room that was accessible. The others were kind of being used as storage. And we weren't really getting a sense that there was anything there for us to, to actually pick up on. But when we, when we walked out of the room, um, I had to set my gear down on a little bench that was outside to change some batteries. As we were changing batteries, we heard some commotion back in the room. We go back in there, and all of the chairs had been moved. And there was there's no closets. There was no place for anybody to hide. So we were kind of like, okay, this is different. Um, we sat down, did another uh, session trying to get somebody to um, you know let us know that they were there. And again, really nothing happened. As we were walking out again, we heard commotion back in the room. We go back in. Now the chairs are back where they had originally started from. We sit down again, and one of the questions that was uh, that we had uh, said was, if you don't want us here, just tell us to get out and we'll leave. Well, when that happened, Ash's chair slides back about four feet. He gets slammed into the wall. He falls over, and you hear um, an audible, get out. So that kind of was like, okay, I don't think they want us here. And Ash was... Not a small gentleman. He was probably did you, did you say a little uh, over three hundred pounds? First of all, just yeah. beca- it kind of distorted when you said it, but I think you said "get out" is what you heard. Correct. Right. Now, did you hear that um, uh, in real it time? Audible. It was audible at the time. Correct. So it wasn't. Yeah, an e- yeah, it wasn't. An, it we wasn't. Also an, have it on tape. Yeah, it wasn't an EVB EVP that you heard later. You heard it when it happened. Correct. Wow. Yeah, okay. We heard it when it happened. Okay. Uh, well, that's a little disturbing. Yeah. Well, well disturbing is watching Ash go flying backwards in a metal folding chair into a wall. That really, that really uh, surprised everybody. Uh, that's something like I've never seen before or again. Yeah, it, it was. It was definitely uh, one for the uh, record books. And this was all all occurred in the course of one night of sleeping there. Correct. Well, actually, we we didn't sleep. Um, I think we, we <laughs> I were on either. our second or third investigation for that trip, and I believe we were up for a little over 42 hours. I mean, you were, it was Alcatraz. We're not going to sleep when we're on Alcatraz. Yeah. Like, nope, not going to happen. So, Yeah, are these, are these um, overnights uh, available to anyone, or did you have to get some kind of special permission for this? Well, the the way Alcatraz works, and I believe they still do it, however, they have changed to where you have to be a, um, a registered 501c3 charitable organization. But at the time, you didn't have to. And what they would do is they would have a lottery system. You would enter the lottery in November. They would draw a series of names in December. And then at the end of December, they would uh, tell you what weekend that uh, you were you were going to be there, and it, it was non-negotiable. It was that weekend, or you weren't going. Um, you could bring, if I remember correctly, thirty-two people with you, um, and I believe back back then this was like oh nine, oh eight, oh nine. Um, I believe it was like fifteen hundred dollars, um, and then you'd go to the island, you'd do a little bit of community service, and then they would just sort of turn you loose. Oh, and wow. I mean, it it was it was great. We did it two years in a row. What an experience! Let's um let's talk a little bit about the history of Alcatraz uh, to begin with. Now, is the name Alcatraz the name of the island or the facility that's on the island, or both? I know it's obviously the name um, of the prison, but well, it it was originally uh, named Alcatraz by uh, a Spanish sailor, um, and it means um, island of the pelicans, and the name just sort of stuck. Um, the Olone uh, Indians, they I'm, I'm not really sure what they called it. They just sort of adapted or adopted the name Alcatraz uh, uh, later on. Um, but they actually used the island as um, a place of exile. Um, and like they, they actually banish, believed that there they were would, they evil would... spirits they would ban it. They would banish people there. Is that what you mean? Correct. They, uh, if if somebody in the uh, 
their family unit or the tribe would uh, do something against um, uh, their their laws to the point where they were no longer um, allowed to be part of uh, uh, the tribe. They would actually send them to Alcatraz as as exile, and there they they believed that uh, the evil spirits would probably get them. So they the the, the Ohlone actually shunned. Alcatraz, even though they would go out there for uh, uh, fishing and things like that. So it's it has a history of being a, a penal uh, site uh, prior to the prison being built there. Exactly. It, it pretty much has always been used oh, yeah. in, in some form or another as a, a penal colony. Interesting. Um, and the Native Americans at the time felt that there was something um, spiritual about it in, 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 in an evil spirit sense? Yeah, well, over, over the years, um, and, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, a thousand years or more, um, the, the Ohlone believed that there were evil spirits that um, resided on the island. Um, there were uh, the, a belief of the Bukwus, which is um, a creature that would... It, it was a drowning victim who had turned into an evil being. And uh, the Bukwus itself would try to turn other people into Bukwus. Um, and if not, uh, the Bukwus would actually just try and drown the person and have them just sort of um, tag along, as it were, sort of uh, enthrall. Um, uh, the Matakagmi, uh, which is basically the Ohlone uh, Bigfoot, um, has been associated with the island, uh, not necessarily in a, uh, an evil way as far as the uh, Ohlone are concerned, uh, but almost as a, a guardian spirit for them. How large? Uh, how large is the island of Alcatraz? Uh, um, you know, it's I I, I don't know the exact number. Um, my I apologize for that. It's really not very, uh, very large. Somewhere, um, somewhere, I, somewhere in my mind. Yeah, you can walk. Yeah, somewhere in my mind, I think it's like twelve acres or something along those something lines. Something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's not Sounds a particularly like- large. Island, and uh, when the when the Europeans settled the West Coast and it started to be used for uh, their purposes, how, what, did it start out as a prison? What was its original use? Well, actually, the the Spaniards kind of ignored it. Um, they they were so busy trying to colonize um, Northern California um, that they sort of overlooked that minuscule little island. And because the native population did not really want to be converted to Christianity, a lot of the natives, even though they were terrified of Alcatraz itself, they knew that the Spaniards were also afraid of it because of the evil spirits that the Spaniards believed were on the island. Uh, the Alone, the Chumash, they would actually go out to Alcatraz and hide out from the Spanish. So the, the Spanish never really used it as, um, as a penal colony. Um, but the, during their period, uh, the Chumash and the Alone actually used it as a, a, a place to hide out. Okay, so it was used Which as is- a bit of a refuge by the Native Americans, but at some point... The European settlers, whether they were at that point considered Americans, I don't know, you know, what the timeline is here. But at some point, it was put into use by um, in an official capacity. When did that start, and what was it for? Was it originally a prison? I think there was a military use at one point, wasn't there? Uh, correct. the uh, the The timeline basically goes uh, what after the United States um, took over uh, California from uh, the Mexican government. That's when Alcatraz really kind of came into its own. Uh, the United States, um, seeing it as a, a linchpin for the protection of the San Francisco Bay, actually turned it into a, a military complex. Um, and they, would ha- they had uh, guns on Alcatraz 
uh, and then guns on either side of the base. So they had sort of this three-pronged um, attack uh, if anybody tried to sail into the harbor. Now, during the Civil War, um, they, the, the Union started bringing Confederate prisoners over to Alcatraz, and um, they, that's kind of when the whole prison started. Now, they, the, the United States did use it as um, a place to uh, put soldiers who had gone AWOL um, and undesirables, as they called them. Um, but back then, it was literally just this little pit um, underneath uh, one of the sally ports in the uh, main citadel. So, you know, it, it really didn't become a prison until about the Civil War era. You know, you guys had your own experiences, but there's a real history of paranormal activity there in the prison itself, isn't there? Uh, Quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it is actually very similar to, I think, since that, you know, my experience when I was a kid uh, and then got into the paranormal and, you know, met, you know, thousands and thousands of people in, in the field, uh, I think I know now, and Brian can probably back me up on this, is I think I know five different people at least that have had the exact same experience or one very similar to the one that I had the first time. So that one's definitely uh, one that I know happens often. Was there, were there, then, well, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, and then we've also, we've, you know, yeah, we've had uh, lots of other uh, types of activity as well. So, yeah, but I, it, great place. when we talk about the history of the place, were there ever any reports of inmates uh, claiming to have experienced anything paranormal? Actually, uh, yeah, uh, there's one um, one inmate. Um, I don't know whether uh, the listeners have heard of him, uh, Whitey Thompson, um, and he actually went back to Alcatraz as a tour guide. And at one point, while he was waiting for his tour group to show up, he saw an old friend of his in the hallway. The only problem was is his old friend had died like 20 years earlier. Um, there's another case where one of the, um, well, actually not one of the inmates, but a few of the inmates would, um, they would always notice this one uh, and they just called him a spirit that, that had a tendency to uh, mess with the guards. And this was while it was still, you know, an, an active federal prison. Uh, so there were uh, some tales, um, you know, and then, of course, uh, 14D. That was yeah, well that known was, during the prison years. Yeah, they have a story of that one on that one. Let's you know, not let's that, not get uh, in, let, the, let's not get into okay. that yet because we're going to run out of time, and I want to make sure we have plenty, right. enough time to talk about that before we go to this break here at the top of the hour. We've got about thirty seconds. Where can people get a hold of your books, guys? Uh, pretty much anywhere. Um, yeah. Amazon is probably the cheapest place to get it, uh, but you can go into any bookstore and order it. Um, uh, you know, and hell, I think even Walmart has it. So available oh, yeah, yeah. quite widely. Okay, and we also have a link on um, on our site to them as well. Swing by our social media sites. Please go to Facebook, like the Beyond Reality Radio Facebook page, and also like J.V. Johnson. Always great information there for you. And then go to YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel. channel. You can find that by uh, searching for Beyond Reality Radio or you can find it by searching for J.V. Johnson. Live stream of the show there in case you don't have a radio station in your market yet that carries the program, plus a very, very vibrant chat room community and a lot of back episodes as well, interviews from hmm, far back as almost a year and a half now, I guess, we've been doing the YouTube thing. So a lot of great stuff there to listen to, about 350 or so past episodes on uh, on the YouTube channel for you, plus some special content. Again, go to YouTube, search for J.V. Johnson. Tonight we're talking about a couple of things. The first part of our discussion tonight is about Alcatraz, Ghost and, Ghosts and Legends of Alcatraz is the new book by Brian Clune and Bob Davis. And in a little while we'll be talking about the ghost box, or as some people call it, the Frank's box. Frank Sumption invented a device that is uh, being used to investigate the paranormal. We'll talk about what the device is, how it works, and if it's effective. That's all with our guests tonight. Again, uh, Brian and Bob, thanks for being here. I want to go back to Alcatraz 
And I want to talk about some of the things that are a bit notorious about that island as it was a prison. And one of the things that's pretty uh, incredible about it and may add some fuel to the paranormal activity that's there is the idea that it was escape proof. Yet there are some escapes that are still a little bit uncertain whether those folks were successful or not. Um, I'm particularly thinking about, um, you know, uh, Frank Morris and uh, his crew. Uh, tell us that story, because that's a pretty fascinating one. Well, um, there were actually four people involved with that. Uh, the other person, uh, uh, a prisoner by the name of West, he actually did not dig the hole in his cell wall wide enough, and he couldn't get out. So he was actually found just sleeping uh, uh, in his bed the, uh, the night after the escape. Now, the that whole escape was incredible. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen the movie Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood, I highly recommend it because it's actually fairly close to uh, how they went about it. But they, they created fake heads. Um, using uh, uh, human hair. What's that? Paper mache and human hair. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Um, it was was shoe polish as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, they climbed up to the roof, uh, shimmied down a pipe, and um, built kind of a homemade raft. And to blow the raft up, Morris actually used a uh, basically an accordion. To uh, to fill the raft with air, and they uh, they made it to uh, Angel Island. And the reason I say they made it is because fairly recently, some FBI documents were actually released that show that they did find the raft on um, Angel Island, and that there was actually a report of three men who had uh, basically carjacked a Chevrolet. And uh, they matched the description of the three men, and uh, they just sort of drove off into uh, into history. And the island was shut down very shortly afterwards. Was the escape uh, part of the reason that the island, that the prison on the island, was shut down? No, you know what? That it, it actually had nothing to do with it. Um, earlier in, um, uh, in during one of the breaks. Um, uh, Orion was, in, I guess, a film uh, that was talking about Alcatraz and how uh, uh, it could be one of the most cost-effective uh, prisons in the United States, and it actually turned out to be the most expensive prison in the United States. Um, and it was actually shut down in January of 1963 specifically because it was just too expensive to continue to maintain. Even water had to be transported out by barges. So these three guys, uh, Frank Morris and I think it was the uh, Anglin, Anglin brothers, yeah, Anglin brothers right, yeah, they, they crafted fake heads that were in the in the likeness of the, themselves. They chiseled out an air vent uh, to the size where they could climb through into a what was I guess a utility hallway, a utility shaft. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, they put the heads on the pillows in their beds to make it look like they were still in their beds sleeping. They did that every night while they were working on um, not only the getting through the wall, but also, you know, the hurdles between there and getting out uh, at the top of the, of the building. Um, and then they, they crafted a raft made out of uh, raincoats, right? Then they raincoats, st- correct, yeah. steal a bunch of raincoats and fuse them together and made a raft out of it. Now the raft that was found, according to the FBI, did it, was it a raft made of raincoats? Did they say it matched the description of what they expected? Yeah, the, they they basically admitted that it was the raft that uh, uh, Morris and the Anglins used. So it was the uh, raft. Yeah. Didn't wow. they also find a uh, photograph of one of the guy's uh, girlfriends or something like that on, around that same area? Well, they, they did find um, a a packet floating that was uh, uh-huh. one of the Anglin brothers, and it had some letters and uh, things like that in it. But they actually used that packet to say that, see, he drowned. Mm. And then yeah. um, a, a, about a month or so after uh, the escape attempt, um, one of the other inmates on the island received a postcard 
that did not have any signature or anything on it. It just said gone fishing. Um, and it was, uh, that was supposedly the, uh, key word or key phrase that let him know that, yes, they did wow. make it. Wow. Um, that would be really interesting. And, and I think part of, part of the, uh, I guess what would be uh, uniqueness of that particular story is that uh, not only is it possible that they made it and they actually did escape, but there was a cover up and uh, the government didn't want to know that they had been successful if they in fact were. So that's a pretty cool story, but it's kind of diverging from the topic of our conversation, which is the paranormal stuff. Let's talk about Al Capone a little bit. He was there too, wasn't he? Um, He was. And a lot of, a lot of people don't know, but Al Capone, um, and whether it was because of his um, uh, deteriorating mind uh, due to his venereal disease, but he was terrified of a ghost by the name of Jimmy Clark that he said followed him everywhere he went, including on Alcatraz. And apparently Mr. Clark was uh, one of the people that was gunned down in the... Uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, it seems kind of uh, interesting that Al Capone is um, not, not necessarily seen, but basically heard on Alcatraz when he was so into and, and believed in spirits himself. And Al Capone seems to get around because his ghost is seen on Alcatraz, Eastern State Prison, his um, a state in Florida and his old buildings in Chicago. So he he does like to travel um, in his retirement, shall we say, and play the banjo <laughs> and play the banjo. So um, apparently, that's one was, of the stories that's been told about Al Capone on there is that he could be hear, heard, uh, you know, even today playing his banjo. Now I never heard it, but you know whether it's true or not, I don't know. But but that is one of the the paranormal stories going around about Alcatraz. What? Yeah, and he was he I... was actually part of the Alcatraz prison band. Oh, was he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Am I remembering correctly? Was he also at Eastern State Penitentiary? He was. Yeah, he had, um, he had a cell there for a while. That's the one where he had it all set up. That's he could right. have pretty much whatever he wanted, and it was like an apartment in there for him. He had carpeting and, I mean, you name it. So, yeah. you know, and he went into shock, I think, when they sent him out to Alcatraz, and they said, no, you're not getting any of this. You know, so. Of course, um, Eastern State Penitri- Penitentiary, another uh, very active uh, location for paranormal activity. Um what what's the deal with cell fourteen D, Bob? You mean what's the deal as far as you mean why is it haunted or just just some of the, right, well, the uh, first the first or, first I mean, part it started out like fourteen um, D uh, was I'm trying to think of what year it was uh, originally built I think it was like in was it nineteen forty nineteen forty or something like that but anyway. Yeah, it, it, it was just a place where, where you know, all the prisoners, once it was, I'm looking for the section, oh, here we go. Yeah, so it was uh, originally commissioned and opened in 1940. So um, from that time on, you know, it's just a place that, you know, any of the prisoners that saw that place, you know, they just, you know, obviously would be, you know, wanted to stay away from it, first of all. And then there's a, a famous story um, about a prisoner who was thrown in there, and I don't have his name, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, but uh, he was thrown the, in his, for, his name has actually never been put out. Disclosed. Yeah, that may be why I don't know it. <laughs> so, yeah. But but his, uh, his story was one that, you know, every night he would be, you know, heard, and I may be a little bit off on it, and you can correct me if you want, Brian, but, I mean, he would be heard screaming that somebody was trying to, to strangle him and, and uh, kill him and stuff, and... He said that there was a monster. It was a monster that was in there with him, and that he, this monster's eyes glowed red. And then one day, apparently, when he, you know, they, he stopped making all this racket one night, and so they just figured, oh, he, you know, gave up or got tired, or whatever. Felt, you know, so when they opened up the cell the next day, they found him in there dead. Apparently, from what I understand, he had uh, 
strangulation marks around his neck. Now, whether that's true as well, I don't know. It, it could be just adding to the lore. I don't know. But yeah. uh, the other interesting thing about it is that after that happened and the, the other prisoners would line up, you know, for mess uh, hall at the mess hall and the guards would do a head count, they would always count his, him too, even though he was already gone. And he shouldn't have been there, but apparently he was in the line waiting for Chow. Oh wow! So, yeah. So, yeah. Kind of yeah um, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm I'm sorry to put kind of a damper on the story, but um, there I, that story is most likely just part of urban legend. Um, just sort of grew up out of a um, a story of uh, about Rufus McCain. Um, now I'm not going to not say that that cell is not haunted because yeah that that cell is the creepiest place on Alcatraz. I was but, say, I'm pretty um, sure there'd be about a hundred people at beach. If you oh yeah. No, no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would never do that, but, um, I know, I'm the, we're, we're, we're historically, it is most likely a, a prisoner who was killed on the Island, uh, by the name of Rufus McCain, uh, just because of the amount of time he spent there. Um, anybody that wants to know the story of Rufus McCain, uh, there's a movie called Murder in the First that um, is basically all about that particular escape attempt and uh, subsequent murder. Uh, we're going to spend just a couple more minutes, guys, on Alcatraz. Uh, then after the next break, we're going to talk about the Frank's box and Frank's Sumption in your, uh, your, uh, the book that you wrote about him. Uh, for Alcatraz, though, what would you say the part of the prison that has or continues to have the most paranormal activity is where would that be in the prison? Bob, how about you? I'm sorry. Repeat what you be, said. It would, repeat it what would you said. Self 14D, or also uh, down there in the uh, in the Sally Port, that should the original prison, the little square area. That seems to to. Ha- I mean, it's just the whole place has got its own. Variety <laughs> It'd be hard to pick there. just one. Yeah. So it, it really isn't on that place. You you said you weren't sure if uh, they were still. Uh, conducting the tours the way they did with the lottery, uh, but is it open for like just uh, sightseeing tours? Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. They can daytime and nighttime, so people can but go if, uh, visit. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say if you, if you're going to go though, make sure you book at least six months in advance because it it sells mm-hmm. out fantastically fast. Does it? Yeah, yeah, it really does. It's amazing. I remember spending a little bit of time at the. I'm trying to remember the Alcatraz Alcatraz. Uh, brew pub maybe was the name i don't know it's, it's they had they actually well, had maybe a little, little bit of time there huh yeah they had they had a <laughs> uh, a cell a mock-up of the uh one of the uh the, like frank morris's cell i think it was with the paper mache head in the bed and all that it was kind of cool right in the right in oh, the yeah. pub yeah neat place um okay so once again that book is called ghosts and legends of alcatraz and people can get it where uh, pretty much on Barnes and Noble, they can order it, you know, um, from any of their local bookstores. Just, yeah, just about anywhere. Guys, who was Frank Sumption? Tell us a little bit about him. Um, Frank Sumption was probably the most interesting person that I never, unfortunately, had the pleasure of knowing. Um, Frank was brilliant, um, but Frank was also very troubled. Um and I guess that's a lot of a lot of geniuses are like that, um, where they have just you know massive amounts of brilliance stored inside them, but then things around them just sort of go haywire. And a lot of things went haywire in Frank's life. Um, but through it all, uh, Frank was probably one of the most devoted family men you would ever want to know. Yeah, I, I had the pleasure of talking to Frank for quite a quite a bit of time one day, and uh, we had had lunch together. And I can honestly say he was extremely sincere. He was, you know, I think it, like Brian said, it, a lot of that comes from, you know, his genius. Also, you know, there's that fine line between genius and, you know, and then you know, I don't want I don't know how to put it nicely, but you know, but then you know. Being having disturbing times as well. Well, there's there's you know, there's often been said there's very, a there's often it's often been said there's a fine line between genius and insanity, 
And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, you well, know, that's the way. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's and been that's, said of, of most geniuses. Exactly. Right. And, and, and Frank just struck me as somebody who just is like myself is interested in everything that he can, you know, even conceive, you know, and it drives my wife nuts. I think, you know, that, you know, I'm like, over here, over there, you know, let me look at this, let me look at that, you know, and I think Frank had, you know, that that trade as well, but, you know, probably 20-fold or more or 100-fold, but it was it was really a great opportunity to talk to him. He even invited me, uh, he's a long-distance road bicycler, or was, and invited me to come up to Colorado and go road biking with him over this uh, big, long dam that he knew about. And he goes, oh, you'll love it. It's like, I don't remember how far the ride was. But, yeah, so he, you know, he was shy kind of and stuff as well. But, you know, um, very interesting, you know, and I'm fortunate to have had that time. What uh, exactly is the ghost box or or Frank's box? What Frank always said, and I, I, I love it, he goes, I invented the broken radio, <laughs> and that's exactly how he looked at it. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that Frank originally designed it not as a uh, ghost hunting tool, yeah, but as a as a tool to uh, speak to uh, uh, beings from another world, uh, space aliens, and that's what it was originally designed for. And then he sort of converted it. Well, I don't even know if converting it's the, the proper term, but after his son, uh, Frank Jr., was murdered, um, he, he, div- he started to use it as a way to not only talk to um, or to, to get messages from what he believed were the Anunnaki, but to try and get messages from his uh, deceased son as well. Yeah, he used to call what, EBEs or something like that, extraterrestrial biological entities, I believe it was. So, yeah. It's like, so that was, you know, he, he actually, when he start, started seeing people using the, the box to try to contact dead relatives and stuff, he would he would almost, you know, I don't know if he would, you know, I am you know don't want to overshoot it, but he, I know it would upset him at, at points, you know, um, and I've been told that by, you know, several people that knew him well. But, you know, nevertheless, he put up with it, and like Brian said, you know, then maybe he was more accepting of that after the loss of his son, which, you know, loss is kind of what really kicked me back into high gear on, you know, my research and stuff, because uh, I took a layoff for, you know, a number of years, and then I came back, and that's what that's what caused it. So loss can do that to people, you know, where you, you know, just get back into it and try to find any way you can to communicate with them. And yeah. I believe that's the same thing with the guy who invented the bell meter, if I'm not mistaken. And if I am, forgive me. But that's what I'd, that's what I'd heard, was he was trying to communicate with his daughter he'd lost. So. so the device itself, basically, if I understand how it works, is that it rapidly scans radio frequencies. And Correct. From those frequencies, um, it is reported to be able to offer a portal in which the other side can communicate. Um, have I said anything there that's inaccurate? No, no, that's 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 pretty pretty accurate. Um, the 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 basic theory is that as the radio sweeps through the bands that um, either uh, a paranormal entity or a space alien will pick out words to um, form uh, phrases, sentences, or even sometimes just single words that um, match with what the person is asking questions. Um, Frank was also one who said you shouldn't even ask questions. It was his belief that you should just sit there and listen to the box, and the box will tell you what the entity, and we'll just use entity as, a, as kind of a, a, an all-encompassing uh, thing for whatever's coming through, that the entity will just tell you what they want uh, rather than you asking questions. At least that was Frank's belief. 
I believe that as well because I just know just from having a couple of his boxes and then other boxes that you know of all different types that when I turn them on, you know, and just like let them sit there for a while, you know, they'll it won't take very long. You know, it's one they make it clear they know whose box it is if you've had it any any period of time. They'll know you by name first and last, and they'll you know just all like you know it's almost like hey Bob's here you know and and it's almost like they get excited when you turn it on, you know, and and then also it maybe gives it the box a chance to attune itself to the owner, you know, because I know that, you know, I've heard from, from Frank and, and other people that are, you know, work a lot with the box that it's important that that box knows, you know, gets used to the person that's main user is and owner is, and that I hate to say owner, but you know what I mean. Um, the person who's the main you know, researcher that has it. And so um, it seems to help. The, like I've got an old Shack hack, a Radio Shack hack and, that we've had forever, and that thing works like crazy, you know. So it definitely knows it's my box. <laughs> So the, this, dev- you know, I, I, I've seen these these devices in uh, use quite a bit. Um, I would say on a few occasions, I have been impressed. On other occasions, I felt as though maybe the user is interpreting a little bit freely. Are you uh-huh. are you are you guys of the opinion that this device actually does what it what it uh, reports to do? Um, I well, I. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bob. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, personally, I believe that, yeah, it definitely sometimes works. because, And I'll let Brian tell you why, because it, I can't think of any other way it could have happened. But, you know, at, at other times, yeah, I think there, it's almost like a form of periodolia, you know, or with, you know, photographs or EVPs. Where you know you're also sometimes hear what you think you want to hear, right? But then there's sometimes where it tells you things that you know are really clear, and it shouldn't know. And if you want to expand on that one, Brian, take it away. All right. So I was of the impression that this was just a toy. That there's no way it would work. And I'll try and shorten this so I know we're running out of time. Uh, we were at a, a home case, and we were doing a Frank's box session. And Bob was asking the questions, and like I said, I'm going I'm to shorten this. So the the box started to say the uh, the name Richard over and over again. Bob asked, "Is Richard with you?" The box came back and said, "No, Richard is with you." It then started to spit out the name Andrew over and over again. Um, and again, Bob asked, "Is Andrew with you?" The the box said, "No, Andrew is with you." At this point, I'm starting to get this weird look on my face. And then when it started to say uh, the last name Smith, and then it said Richard Andrew Smith over and over again, and again Bob said, is Richard Andrew Smith with you? It said no with you. And then it said Richard Andrew Smith with you. And Bob was looking at me, and so were the, uh, the, my other team members, and I'm like, I don't want to say anything in front of the client. But it, it turns he, out. Yeah, he was clearly shaken, yeah that um, I'm adopted, and my name before I was adopted was Richard Andrew Smith. And this thing kept spitting out Richard Andrew Smith. Now, at the end of the investigation, um, the client wanted us to smudge, and we're kind of a... a, Smudging is one of these things where, okay, it may work, it may not, but the client wanted it, so we did it. And as we were smudging the house, we start hearing the client's name being called out and stop the name, stop, stop. And so it would go stop and then say the client's name, stop, say the client's name. We were like, what the heck is going on? We go back into the bedroom. We had forgotten to turn the Frank's box off, and the Frank's box was pleading for the owner of the house to have us stop smudging. So that sort of convinced me that, okay, I guess maybe it does work every once in a while. Um, But I think there's also a certain amount of interpretation that um, the the results can get kind of lost. 
Mm-hmm. One of the uh, things that critics will point out is that you're scanning radio frequencies, and when you scan, and I think it's primarily AM frequencies, and when you scan AM frequencies, you're going to pick up a lot of talk. And even though it's going quickly, it's you know you're going to get bits and pieces of words. Uh, and of course you're going to hear words, but I would suppose if these words have a specific meaning and they repeat, uh, that you can't, you can't really chalk that up to just picking up random words off the radio. Right. right. Uh, we were another, well, excuse me. One thing I'd like to add to that is one way I like to try to, um, kind of thwart that is one, I try to keep the sweep rate really high, as high as possible so that you're not hearing actual words. And also, it's going. I keep the sweep rate in reverse a lot of times, so you've got even if it's coming out in English, it's it's being played backwards, and it's also being, you know, fast. And so then, if all of a sudden, you know, a really clear sentence like Richard Andrew Smith comes out of it, well, you know, that's you know kind of weird. And then if you get like curse words, which we do a lot, you know, those shouldn't be on the radio at all. You know, so I don't know how that happens. But anyway, go ahead, Brian. Sorry to cut you off. But. No, no, that's fine. Um, and then it, there, there's a place out in Arizona just outside of Tombstone called Brin Cow's Cabin. Um, and we were doing a, um, a shack hack uh, session out there. And it kept coming up with the word Brin Cow. And that's really not something that you're going to hear even over an AM radio. Uh, most people don't even know what or where Brunkow's cabin is. So when it started to spit out the word Brunkow, we asked what is Brunkow's first name, and the box immediately came out and said, Freddie, and his name was Frederick Brunkow. So, you know, there, there are times when, and, you know, you can say that it's coincidence, but in a situation like that, the, the coincidence kind of is a little bit more odd, especially since you're not going to have the word Brunkow coming over even an AM talk station. How often do you use this? How often do you use this device in your investigations? Do you use it every time? No. Not every time. Almost never. In fact, that was one of the few times that we used it. I mean, in in private investigations, virtually never. But it it was that one instance where the uh, guy was really... uh, cooperative and he was really into it and so he wanted to learn yeah so you know i mean he wasn't scared of what was in his house really he wanted to more know if it was there or if he was crazy i think and so you know he was he was excited to let us try it out and we were blown away at the results of it so but no uh, generally we don't use it like on private cases now, at frank, all. frank uh frank sumption passed away about five years ago was it uh 2014 yeah yeah, yeah. Um, did he realize uh, how um, accepted his invention had become? Yeah, he 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 realized it and wasn't very happy about it. To be perfectly honest, yeah, um, right. he, he hated people selling them. Right, because he 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 put the he put the plans so anybody could build the boxes on their own. He he put them out so anybody could use them, um, and those same plans are basically what everybody is using today to build ghost boxes or huff boxes or whatever box you want to call it. It is still basically just a Frank's box. Right. Um, And he would be appalled at at his boxes being sold on eBay for, you know, $3,500 and up. He was basically selling his boxes just so he could have enough, money to buy parts to build the next box. He he really wasn't out to make money on these. He just wanted people to have the ability to um to use the device for yeah, right, exactly. Hey guys, we're, 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 hey, I'm sorry, we're oh, out of time. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no problem. Okay. We're just out of time. Sadly, the conversation uh went quickly. But uh once again, let people know where they can get a hold of either of the books or any of your work for that matter. Yeah, um any of our books we have we have seven of them out right now. Um, they can all be found on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or actually ordered through any bookstore if the if the bookstore doesn't already have them on the shelf. And also ParaInvestigations.com if you have any problems with haunting activity or 
just want us to come check things out, or if you're just interested in seeing what we've gathered, uh, queenmaryshadows.com or uh, for Planet, uh, Planet Paranormal for our radio hub. Brian Clune, Bob Davis, thanks, guys, for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having us. So a great week of shows for you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for being here tonight. And once again, thanks to our guests, Brian Clune and Bob Davis. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.